En nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. So I love like stories with a good twist. I like suspense movies where at the end like everything shifted around because there was something that I didn't know and it made a good twist. As those who serve in the library know, I'm slightly addicted to detective novels. <laughs> and so I like to figure all the things out and make them all work. Some twists I don't like so much, like the twist I experienced this morning when I ran to my office running late to get my album only to discover it was at my house. <laughs> or the twist I enjoyed with my fellow altar servers this morning when because I was running to get my alb, I missed that we were supposed to process all the way around. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I like a good twist. <laughs> and I feel often that the moments in scripture when Jesus is teaching in a very direct way, he's always teaching, but in a very direct way, he is like the master of the twist. Like, who saw that coming? That the young man who was willing, you know, who had followed all the rules all his life is then told, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I know he didn't see that one coming. <laughs> all of them, over and over again in the various parables, are these stories of people who seem to be doing all the right things. And then Jesus points out how actually they didn't quite get it right, how they missed the mark, how they're being invited into something that is different and more difficult, I think. That's how I read it. I read it like it's more difficult, like I was working really hard, and now this? So when I was preparing for this morning, I had that moment of, in my head, I'm ready, I'm, I'm finished, are y'all finished, right? Like you have like, whatever the thing is, you have it counted down, you know how many of them there are left, <laughs> and, um, and you're done, right? So I was like, wouldn't it be lovely to send them off with a hopeful and joyous message and have everybody leave the chapel feeling good? And then the reading from Zephaniah starts, ah, soiled, defiled, oppressing city. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't see that one coming. I thought, um, I thought by now we had turned the corner and we're going from darkness into light. You know, it was Rose Sunday. Even though with the blue candles, I don't know what they did with Rose Sunday. But, um, you know, aren't we making that twist? Aren't we seeing the light in the distance? And then... I remembered about the twists, and I remembered how even the slightest shift in a kaleidoscope makes the whole picture look different. And I realized that this is that kind of passage, that it is inviting us into joy and tranquility and peace. That our tendency is to think that the way to get there is to avoid the unpleasantness, to avoid what is hard, that that's how we get peace and tranquility and joy. 
And the passages, both, this, both the one from Zephaniah and Jesus, you know, taking down the religious of his time, um, remind us that that's, yeah, that's not quite how this works. In the Zephaniah passage, we skip the part about how he's busy killing Gentiles so that the people of Judah and Israel will get the message, right? Stop lying. Stop deceiving yourselves. Listen to God's words that are inviting you into communion, that God might come and dwell in your midst. And I said, there it is. We are getting ready in Advent to welcome again, symbolically, spiritually, the dwelling of God in our midst. The God who doesn't stay from afar and just point things out, but loves us enough to come after us over and over again and seeks to attract us that we might draw near that God might dwell with us and we might dwell with God. But the way to get there is through the truth. It is through stopping the lying. It is through facing our weaknesses and our flaws. It is through recognizing how broken we are. And so when Jesus makes it clear that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before the religious and the righteous, it's because they know they're broken. They know to seek healing. They want their lives changed. But we, the religious, the leaders of our tradition, those who are active in ministry, we have the list of all the things that we've been doing right. And even when the prophets come and call us out, we are ready with an explanation for why that is and why it's not really that bad or really what else could you expect? So accepting that that's the truth and not wanting to live, leave this in vague generalities, because I really hate when sermons do that. The example that came to me is the great challenge that the church is facing around its racial reckoning in the midst of this nation. And as a black woman, as a black woman of Latin American descent, as a black woman of Latin American descent who loves women, I kind of just feel a little bit the shock and awe that happens when I tell people that I'm an Episcopal priest. <laughs> um, it's a little bit like, what? Um, and I, some of it is the femaleness of my priesthood. But some of it is just like, yeah, this is not the package we expected Episcopal priests to come in. Um, I had a spiritual, as an aside, I had a spiritual director that for a whole, like, I don't even remember, it feels like forever, I'm sure it wasn't that long, would make me stand up with, my practice was to stand in front of a mirror and say, this is what an Episcopal priest looks like. Because in my 20s, I was having a hard time imagining it myself. 
So as the church deals with its racial reckoning, right, especially, okay, United States altogether, Christians everywhere, and then there's the Church of the Founders, imperialist, colonial history. Oh, that would be us. <laughs> and, and we're not alone, but we take a lot of pride in being the ones. And then we are forced to remember that, yeah, we were the ones that, well, you know, the institution historically, I know it wasn't us, but that we as a tradition have a lot to remember, a lot of truth to speak about what we did with Native people and their lands, what we did when we were welcomed or not welcomed, all the ways in which it was perfectly acceptable and a good Christian practice to eliminate the savages, what it meant for us to seek to be empire and then to become empire, on the backs and the bodies of people of African descent, generation after generation. There is not one institution, family, or person in the United States that has collected wealth for themselves and their families that did not do it on the backs of black people. And then there's all the ways in which, as a church, we bolstered it up and called it the Christian triumphant victorious message. So we don't want to turn away from it. We don't want to lie. And yet so many of our churches, it just hurts too bad because it feels like the message is everything we've done, we've done it wrong all the things. Whenever we have proclaimed Christ and him crucified, whenever we have lived into the good news that we are broken and in need of redemption, we have done what has been asked of us to do. To share the good news, to share the grace, to share the transformation that comes by accepting Christ and living into God's kingdom and not to the empire that we've constructed ourselves. So the good news, the joy, the light, is that this season is a season of repentance and turning and transformation. That it is an invitation in the midst of the darkest of days to know that the light of Christ comes and it comes in love to transform and heal us that we might be the good news that the world wants to hear sung from every chapel on Christmas Day. And all we need to do is release our arrogance and welcome the humility and meekness that comes knowing that we are loved and that that love will heal and transform us, and that in our joy, we will share that news with the world. So there's the twist. It's dark, but the light is coming. Amen.